to the Birth Proof Podcast with me, your host, Annie. Joining us today, we have Kemi, aka Professional Auntie, a qualified midwife and health visitor, who will be sharing with us some advice for the health and well-being of the family. So without further ado, Kemi, welcome to the Birth Proof Podcast. Hi, hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so before we get into this, here on the Birth Proof, we like to kick things off with an icebreaker question. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Great. So... If you were stranded on a desert island, what two things would you bring or people and why? There's a, this question always throws me because I'm like, <laughs> what two things on desert island? I think I would have to have music. You think I could bring people? Yeah, you could bring two people, things, just, just two of anything. So hard. I guess I have to bring my son because where else would he be? But goodness, hope I survive with him on that island as well. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I'll just I don't music know. and your son, <laughs> my son, but myself, my, just me and my son, my music and my Bible, I guess, will survive. No, 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 no. <laughs> please give me number one. <laughs> Do you know, I'll make this, I'll make the exception on today's episode. <laughs> Thank you. We had so many questions to grill with, you, so we'll literally be able to make it up. There we week. go, there we go. <laughs> Okay, can you um, introduce yourself for those of us that don't necessarily know you? If you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, great. Um, once again, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm Kemi, um, qualified midwife for eight years in December. Sounds wow. crazy saying it out loud. Um, yes, and a health visitor for five years. Um, I also have a business called Professional Auntie, um, which is about a year and a half years old now, um, derived from when after I had my son. So I guess I'm a mother of one. Um, seeing the gaps in service, seeing um, things that I believed I needed for myself, things that I felt like I believe that all parents should invest in, um, the one-to-one flexibility, um, having that support network bigger than the NHS, um, that we invest in our hair, we invest in our food, the extra, going an extra mile. Mm. Um, I really wanted it to be something that we did for our parenting. And I launched something within the midst of like products and all services. So that's how Professional Auntie was derived. So yeah, qualified, professional, but also have my own business and a mother. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know you're um, a health visitor. And to be honest, before like I started placement, I didn't even know much about health visitors. I think I saw health visitors a few times, but I got them confused yeah. with a midwife, right? So yeah. can you talk to us about the role of a health visitor? What does a health visitor actually do? Yeah, funny you say that. I think a lot of people um, don't know about health visiting until they actually become parents themselves. Um, and they see us. Like a lot of people I've had, they know, okay, yes, a midwife, but health visitor is something that I don't think people always tap into unless you they've had the kids before and they said yes that lady came yeah so we kind of always have to try to aim to have an to contact with parents and yeah. that's our way of breaking in to let them know okay the health is in service is what we are it's what we do for first-time parents we offer that in a form of a face-to-face and for people that have had kids before it's just a follow-up telephone contact and one of the reasons why we do offer that is because when baby's born we have to see you within two weeks and you're already seeing a midwife mm. sometimes they, they see us as the same person oh you're my midwife and we're like no we're different <laughs> we're not the midwife we are a health visitor <laughs> and we'll be seeing you on so having 
us meet them before kind of makes them aware of what's gonna happen especially such a busy time when you have your baby and you're really tired you've seen a lot of people anyway so that information sharing prior kind of gives them to kind of differentiate us earlier on and remember that what the two services are going to be different and what we're going to be offering them um i think what's our part of the question about what we offer yeah so what do health visitors do um what what kind of support do they give to uh they provide for mother and for the baby and you know the family yeah so i think um health visitors our role is for the healthy child program and the government guidelines on that but our role is for the well-being of the parents and the child so developmental check-in your general health checks we share your care with the gp so the gp once you discharge a midwife your GP and health visitor will be in charge of your care in terms of like having that professional health to speak to. Okay. My baby's got a rash, my baby's constipated, my baby's got this going on, um, my baby's not smiling, how did I wean my baby? We are putting a contact. Okay. If it's more medical thing, we'll send you to your GP as well, or we both share. Um, weight, sample you to clinics to get your baby weighed, um, measurements, growth, development, making sure they meet their milestones. Yeah. Um, are they crawling now? Is there worries about their speech? Is there worries about um, any communication needs? We are put a contact and can sample to services. Okay. Um, children's centre activities, we sample to that. Financial support, um, is family struggling? Um, anything like that, we are put a contact. So our role really is the well-being of the family, um, making sure the child is meeting his milestones and also making sure that child is um, safe and free from neglect and harm, really, and make sure they thrive Amazing. in all areas, really. Oh, that's amazing. That's mm. amazing. You know, I didn't know, honestly, much about this, the role of a health visitor, but it seems like you guys do so much. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I mean, we had our talk the other day and you were like, you know, I've had to spend maybe three hours at one time with a woman because she needed that support. Mm, yeah. What kind of things do you talk about? Yeah, with so women? with um, health visiting, we are guided by having like three, like key t- key touch points which um i first said was the antenatal contact where we try to have that that first one to break in yeah. and one will just be more service sharing about what we're going to be doing then we have a new birth contact um which has to be done before the baby is two weeks old yeah and 14 days and that one can take quite a while because we're coming in to obviously a family who's just had a baby they come are fine but some have come in they've got a lot of questions mums maybe showing signs of feeling depressed or low or previous history of postnatal depression yeah. um talking about her birth experience which could have been mm. really bad feeling concerns you address that you know just um, living conditions some people are they're in a situation with a new recourse you know different environment setups relationship yes. breakdowns you talk about it straight away you know how limited support networks around them mm. um baby baby skins like this so you go through all these things in one contact and as you can imagine a lot of things can creep up you're also giving them information that you have already been given to by your you have to talk about already like just yeah. sharing information about that checking on her healing how's this going giving her that so that could take quite a while then again we have another checkup at six to eight weeks yeah and that's obviously things are settling down from the birth but there's mm. a lot of more questions just get to know her baby more she's worried about this this cup is baby doing this well so you assess yeah. mom and baby if dad's there also asking him about how he's feeling um that can come in as well Mm. and then we have the developmental checks one before the child is one years old usually yeah. offered about 10 to 12 months and then we have another one at two to two and a half which quite can be quite intense but we also have questionnaires we send to them prior to fill in to help the um contact not be as long so we give that question sent out to them already they fill it in based on what they know about the child's development also social emotional concerns so how they're emotionally as well we assess that and yeah. then have that contact to follow up on the child, but also on mom 
how that how are they feeling how mm-hmm. has this been for them is there concerns they have with parenting concerns in themselves um and then we depend on what that outcome is it can be a shorter or longer if, if it's fine yeah great if things concerns come up it can be a bit longer because we have to touch through things like signposting should they have like a community pedophile is there yeah. worried about the child's speech is there worried about child's development is there autism signs is there f- um feeding issues dietitian referrals so there's just so many different factors absolutely why the corner can go a bit longer Does so, need to be mental so health just touching back on what you just said there with um the concerns what are the concerns that most mothers tend to come up with during the appointments like what are the common concerns that you find Common concerns depend on stage. I think early on, usually feeding issues. Why has my baby got this rash? Is this kind of poo normal? Um, Where can I go to for help for this? You know, like, oh, activities for my baby. What's normal? You know, um, lots of things like bonding with their baby. Yeah. Yeah. So bonding can be support with bonding. Um, Even just um, asking for help, you know, like, I haven't got no one around me. I feel like I'm doing Mm. the same thing where can I go and I feel like obviously during this coronavirus lockdown it's been quite hard for people just general advice about questions questions have changed a lot of questions are surrounding oh who can see my baby when can I go out what should I do is this still okay yeah how can I still get the best out of it with my child being at home I'm worried about this temperature is this normal what should I look up for my child so things change depending on what's going on in the world what's happening around the child yeah and and what kind of background the mum has it could be even how they're coping with this new child and having older children they're not you know adapting to the new child spending time with their child how can they adapt to that you know these little things yeah. can happen going back to work how am I going to do this and that and feed yeah so in terms of bonding with baby because that's quite a common one actually mm-hmm. um how what ways do you promote bonding how can a mother bond with her baby more yeah so I think that's why the communication the discussions as early on as, as possible should be had with parents um, as early about bonding so okay. things like advice and I think to also advise mom has she asked the question have you been talking to your baby do you play music to your baby do you read to your baby and yeah. she says no I haven't thought but lots of people say oh I don't know they can't hear oh, I don't know <laughs> you try and come and say yes your baby can hear you your baby yeah speaking in touch do you touch your bump you know mm. touch your bump. even if dad's there let him touch your bump let him talk to the baby play music these things will, will all be important for later and, and make sure you know start to develop that kind of bond with your child does it and even when they are born we tend to talk to their child when they're changing the nappy when they're feeding you know just mm. get that normal communication because they're hearing they may not talk back and they're like oh but i feel silly i said no it's not <laughs> you know they may not talk back but it's a way of speaking to them you know yeah and, and trying to incorporate that general discussion with their child regularly and talk and, you know, having that bond of like looking at them, even if they're like, you know, if mom choose to bottle feed, we still try and talk about responsive feeding okay. like, and still trying to mimic um, the breastfeeding thing that hold them close instead of putting them, propping them down with a bottle. <laughs> From the buggy. That can impact your bonding because, you know, where you've had to hold a baby, eye contact with your baby you know mm-hmm. reading absolutely to all those things we try to show in little ways which can help build your bond with your baby so discuss yeah. early on trying and highlight areas where they can um work better on it it's the kind of things we do yeah. when we see them yeah so you know culture is a huge part of you know a huge part of us how we do things mm. um and i have quite a few questions about culture um, cultural practice and one of them is you know Nigerian practice when a woman has had a baby she's given birth 
one of the things we do is the bath, isn't it? <laughs> the yeah. African bath and the, the throwing up in the air. And all what, what's your advice on it? Because a lot of people are not sure whether they can or can't. I know if you speak to an African mum, she'll be like, what do you mean? I've been doing this. Yeah. If you die, yeah, he are like, so don't even. And they will come with all their benefits. But <laughs> from a healthcare perspective um, and from your experience, what are your thoughts on, you know, culture and us having um, cultural elements in, included in, in, in how we do things when it comes to birth? Um, I feel um, like everybody knows culture is a very important part of parenting because we don't want people to lose, and even just in general, we want people to celebrate their culture. Yeah. Um, in we don't want people to not to have a culture and not to feel like they can't utilize the culture wherever they are as a parent. However, our role is to make sure that the child is safe. So everything that they're doing that is safe and it's not going to cause harm to the child or to the mother, you know, or the well-being yeah. of the other children, house, the household is very important. So if we, it's not going to cause a child harm, if they tell us something that's not, not worrying to us um or we're not concerned about things um mm. then they can you know we've seen we've been to many homes where basically okay there's been issues like um in some asian communities they put um black liner or even in the, some muslim cultures they put um, a black liner on the baby's eyelids and we've been there and we've been like mm, what do they use and some of the times they use like, like charcoal and the worry is things like infection for that baby's eye so understand trying to un- make them understand that you not to use that we don't really recommend those things yeah um or people shaving the baby's head straight away we have no worries with them shaving the baby's head all we have to tell them about you know it's the worries that how are they usually clean something yeah. and you know so we'll we can go for it like obviously we don't take it but making sure they're aware of the um risks that associated mm-hmm. with certain things mm-hmm. and bring understanding yes. because you don't want people to feel like they can't parent the way they want to but you need to make sure they're aware of the safety and the implications of certain things they may do because a lot of things education is people if they don't know things they will continue certain way so culture of the bath we're not if it's a bath the throwing up will say to them why what are principles behind this you know mm. is, is this reason why and we'll say no we don't really recommend that or okay that's fine you can use these things but make sure that how the cord is um not it's all um off by then you know before so you how, know. even with the cord sorry okay I mean, yeah. um how soon can you bath baby because i don't know is, is that do you have to wait until because another thing is with our culture especially amongst the black community we're like if you don't bath your baby the baby's gonna smell and smell forever yeah so things like that we tell people no that's not true you know your baby's not gonna smell because you haven't bathed the baby but we recommend that you if the pool is still on you can do you know like um, a wipe down so you can use like cotton wool and wipe their face like or flannel like um a yeah. flannel bath so where you're not really completely immersing them in the full water we can do that because we want the um cord to stay dry yeah, yeah. So that's fine so you can every day you can wipe the baby down from head to toe and mm. clean their body but um once cord is off then you can put them in the immerse them in the water fully and put them in that full bath it's fine so we recommended okay. like we say everything we say is recommended it's the guidance if they it's a choice we'll give you the facts behind it but if parents choose to do otherwise before then all our worry will be to make sure that they're keeping the area of the cord there's no infection so it will be a point of consciousness to look at what things you need to look out for. If you did do that, okay, what you should look out for? The worries will be this, that they'll take longer to heal, the cord will mm. drop off, there could be an infection after because you've used other products like soap in the soap, you know, and that may contradict, interfere with the baby's um, cord, the healing process. So those things we can... So would you say that with the cord, right, it has to be completely dry or can I put hot water? Cause I saw my mom doing this. Like, she yeah. puts hot water on the cord and I'm like, mom, okay, what are you doing? She's like, I'm going to put hot water on the cord. It will help it to heal. Okay. Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that okay? Or would you say? So we say just leave alone. So we'll give you our best that our way is basically the advice would be the way that recommended is that how 
pores should be dry for it to fall off. Once the areas um is fallen off, we say it will scab, heal, clean over. You can use cool boiled water okay. as a cleaning. So not hot water. We'll never say hot water. And if we okay. sometimes they use hot water, we would say that's wrong because that could cause um a burn. Okay. How hot do you know? So the baby was you know what I mean these are mm. we have to advise that you know with us we rather the water be cooled down for the baby. Okay. The baby can't saw they can't tell you that was too hot. <laughs> You're putting yeah, that for them, true. you know. So these are the things that we would say to educate them that oh, okay, no, it, what we'll recommend you can use your breast milk and other yeah. things you want to, and that will be the only way. And it will scab, it will clean. if you are worried about the healing process worried about an infection a smell or taking mm. a go to a gp that's the advice that we would give okay okay so um you know when it comes to like circumcision some some women when they have sons you know they prefer to circumcise them maybe the rabbi also will come i don't know too much about it but um the rabbi will come to the house and things like that but i heard at the same time that the nhs offer circumcision for a guy for for young baby boys is that true yeah some nhs doctors are um performing circumcisions circumcision for males are boys are not illegal in this country as you know the only yeah. circumcision that we think call is fgm obviously um mm. that's what we see as illegal however um for males circumcision some in some cases is actually a form of cleanliness for them and yeah. always people's um, foreskin is too tight and can cause complications so they have to do it when they're a bit older However, some cultures, some people prefer to do it for their children as early on and not a bit later. Yes. Um, it's not illegal in a country. Um, and even in some places like America, they do it in a hospital. Before mm. they um, but the UK hasn't done that. So, yes, some people use um, rabbis. They, don't, they use other people to do it. Um, when we are well, when we visit our mom and she told us that we always just ask um, what advice they're given. Is she, how do they use they use any pain relief for a baby so we'll okay. recommend things that should like pain relief obviously or yeah. the baby's pain and how will they cope after so have they got pain relief after on board and um, what have they got to clean it after so sanitization is very important yes so these are things that we're make sure that if they're going to choose them and it asks if we find out before because sometimes we haven't got a chance to meet them before they go and do it we give them information that how these are the things to look out for mm. yeah and what are the red flags and signs they should worry about like if there's infection absolutely yeah cool thanks for that so just touching on to, I'm gonna honestly like, please forgive me because this is these are questions coming from the audience. Oh, and well, we're just, they just, we just had so many questions to ask you, right? So in terms of the the cot, yeah. cot death is something that I've heard a little bit about. Um, I don't really know what causes it to causes it, um, but then I've heard things about so if you put too many things in the cot, or if you put out the Bible and the the teddy bears everywhere, and then the apparently that's not necessarily a good idea what what are your views on on things like that and what causes cot death yeah so um cot death also known as sudden infant death syndrome SIDS um is something that how obviously it's been a long-standing thing that um even lullaby trust are someone that really do a lot of work about that um Chill babies recommendation when we go to the home and the midwives professionals that see baby always advice would be that how babies should be left sleeping on their backs as years gone by, you have family members, grandparents, mothers that will say to you that how I put my baby on the belly and they were fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. When I was grabbing my baby, they told me to my baby inside, you know. That was then, this is now. <laughs> and it's just everything we do in this um health is that we're based on evidence. So evidence-based research. So yes, it may have but then, but now the new evidence yeah. said the back is the best. So we recommend laying baby on a flat and firm mattress, firm surface, and laying them on their back feet touching the end of the crib 
Um, may, and one of the reasons why we say fat because they can turn, babies are very smart. They're able to turn their head from left to right. So if they were choking, if, um, if they have one side, um, yeah. it'd be a bit harder for them to move if they were feeling uncomfortable. Mm. They were overheat, overheating, temperature of the room. We know a baby that's too hot can overheat and that can cause complications as well and also um, hide their risk of um, SIDS. Smoking, um, people that smoke, inhalation of that also can also impact on SIDS as well. So these are the factors when we know people are this that we inform them of as well. Um, blankets, not being too over baby's head, so suffocation can happen as well. So okay. blankets should always be below the arms. So arms should be over the blankets, so it should be on just on their torso. There's a recommendation of that as well. Mm. Um, swaddling during the nighttime is not something we recommend. We recommend it during the day if you're awake and alert, but swaddling them because they got too hot. How would they tell you? Yeah. And babies are quite smart anyway. Most babies don't really like to be swaddled at night. They will probably they want their hands to be out and three. Okay. Yeah. So there is obviously I know there's a lot of these new um, products on the market that have the swaddle things. Their hands are out, and a lot of people buy that. Oh, this is a good swaddle. Although some of them have made it, but we've not tried and tested it, so we can't give advice. We can say this is what we recommend. If you choose to go ahead of it, it's your discretion. Yeah. Um, can you talk about tongue tie? Um, I've seen a few children, yeah. um, sorry, babies, I say children, few babies with tongue tie and apparently it, you know, prohibits their ability to breastfeed and that can cause, you know, a little bit of issues with them feeding. Um, how can it be managed? Tongue tie? Great question to ask about because a lot is a big feeding issue that a lot of mums go through that is not really spoken about a lot. Um, tongue tie is where there's the skin that joins baby's tongue to the bottom of their mouth is like shorter than usual so they can't really stick and point their tongue out. Okay. So where they need that to latch onto the breast and hop, like so they can get more of the nipple into their mouth to be able to latch the breast better, they can't because they're limited by uh, something that's holding their tongue down. So it makes it hard to breastfeed. Causes mums have sore nipples, causes yeah. them to obviously not gain weight, causes them to be frustrated. You know, it's a lot of knock-on effects from it. Mm. Um, that's that's cool. So that's like a lot of issues. Um, so there can be a simple procedure that can be done. The procedure is um, to just um, cut the skin under the, that's connecting the tongue, um, and they do that. However, how you get referred to that is some places and yeah. chests can be longer. So a lot of people that I know do it through a private service. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um. So talking more about baby now, what are some of the common things that you can? I don't know. Yeah, common things that you will experience during your first three months of having a baby? Like, what are the common things that are, yeah, common concerns that I may have as a mother? And how do you, um, you know, propose that I resolve that kind of thing? Um, what does it, it, common concerns, yeah, but everyone's unique to their own. But I think one of the common ones is feeding issues, very big one, you know, um, am I doing this right? Is this, is this baby in this normal temperature for baby? If baby feels too hot or too cold, what am I wearing for baby? Is this okay? Um, what other issues do people always complain about? Um, poo. Poo is a big thing. You talk about so okay. much poo for baby, you know, is this colour poo okay? Um, I know at first it's black, right? Is yeah. it black, then green and yellow? Yeah, or? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So we want that all done. Okay. So the meconium is the first poo. We want, and that, that's what we expect to have. Then it should change green as they get more milk. Okay. And then yellow is the final color, which shows they're getting all the signs of milk. So is this poo okay? How many mm. times do we poo in a day? How many wet nappies should they be having? Is this all normal? You know, yeah. um, how do I know? And weight. 
weight issues is the first issue because obviously we know that if a baby's weight is not um, good, a first sign of any health, health concerns. So make sure babies maintain a good weight, something that we always try to discuss. And if there wasn't a, a big worry for parents, mm. babies not being so, so if feeding going wrong, what should I be doing? You know, things like that as well. Yeah. Um, I would say feeding issues, weight, the bonding, also like um, postnatal depression. Um, how, have, yeah, I've heard a little bit about postnatal depression, like, yeah. you know. How, how is that like I mean what kind of yeah talk about that can you talk about that it can go from just a normal baby blues baby blues being um hormonal changes going back to the normal influx when your milk comes in and that can last a couple of days but when we go into things like postnatal depression it's when you're having a low mood feeling down depressed hopeless for longer okay. periods of time yeah and um, losing interest in things you should like to do before and um, people um may have had pre-existing mental health issues prior or this could be a first thing you're experiencing um because of many factors it could be your birth experience was not expected could be um even tiredness you know um baby demands of this adjusting adjustment a lot of people is a lot of adjusting to this new role this new demand of this child can make you feel like a loss and you know limited people around you some people having children they've moved to a new area all the family live abroad they're the only ones with a partner a partner's gone back to work now working long hours you know um there's a lot of factors that could cause that and obviously our role is to make sure we identify that make sure that parents get support earlier on than later so it's mm. not they're not robbed of their new experience um yeah. and they're able to have the support and signpost as relevant service that could help them on that journey to still yeah. be able to parent well so if a woman's going through postnatal depression, what are some of the, where do you, where are the, where are the, some of the things that you, what are some of the services that you signed posed her to? So there can be um, counselling services, obviously GP should be made aware. Um, so we have things like um, time to talk in our area. There's, every area should have a different thing. So time to talk, there's like things like mum's aids, um, cocoons, a lot of support services that can support in terms of counselling, there's like CBT therapy. Some people also suffer from anxiety, not really spoken about. Um, intrusive thoughts is one of the big things that people suffer with, you know, um, being um, a mother. And that can be just having like thoughts that come through your mind that of negative things. Okay. Thinking, Why am I thinking about that? That's a sign. And a lot of people do have that, but they don't talk about it. Um, and these things um, can be helpful with CBT, with um, counselling, with a GP, or some people have to be medicated. It's assessment based and then they go on to see what will work best for that that person based on their symptoms and mm. how long they've been lasting for you know in our community kemi we don't really talk too much about yeah. mental health it's like it's a taboo almost mental yeah. health what's that but the reality is that there are a lot of people in our community who do need support of course i mean how do we eradicate that stigma and support our women um better speak about it honesty and talk about everyone's mental health is has moments when we're impaired mental health is and they not just being a mother on a day-to-day thing your mental health can be impaired by different things you have a bad week you lose a job you have you know things can stress your mental health however yes. not talking about the fact that I, I feel low today you know this is how moods this is doing and just not i normally i'm not having that mentality unless in our community a lot of people say oh you're strong you'll be okay you'll be yeah. fine get over, get over it that that yeah. line will be you got to you got to be good for your baby but sometimes it's okay not to be okay it's okay to seek help and also eradicating the fear amongst us that you know baby will be taken away that's yeah if that have really been put out there that thinking if i tell people that i'm struggling they're gonna take a baby away if i tell people i'm struggling they're not gonna think i'm a good mom you know if i tell people i'm struggling um does that mean that i'm not the best parent i plan to be no to be fair how can you give your parent your child the best if you don't look after yourself you come first then you can give to your baby 
So I think speaking out and saying that it is normal to sometimes struggle with your mental health. Mm. It's okay to ask for help. That's one thing I think within our community we have to speak about is asking for help is okay. And that we don't always have to be the strong one. And there's actually strength in speaking out about our mental health strength and also strength yes. for help because that means you're you want to be better, you are trying to be better for the child. So that kind of thing is the positivity surrounding that as well, mm. and normalizing the fact that how we go through these symptoms, normalizing the fact that how it's okay to go for um counseling. You know, within our community, counseling is actually that time being oh, you're getting counseling. <laughs> and a stranger what you're going through, no, it's fine. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> you know counseling is fine you know yeah. um medication of course some people don't want to have medication but some people do need medication and if that's your that's okay for you then it's fine and i feel like within our friends as well if we also ask the right questions learning about what should be the right question so even we can start because lots of us ask your friend today how are you feeling today how's your mood how's your mental health today mm. you know um you know those questions so that people are not just taken aback by it and it's spoken about more yeah yeah I would think that's a starting point, definitely. I know, this, this is the thing, like, I'm, I'm sure having a baby must change a woman, like, in a, in a completely new way, you know, because, you yeah, know, it's just an amazing process to be a mother, but I guess it's hard work by the looks yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, sleepless nights, even in relation to sleep. Yeah. How, how do mothers even cope with sleep loss? And their relationship as well. It also impacts on relationships with their partner, you know. It can also bring a big shame, a big strain on the relationship, you know. If sometimes understanding between both parents, I feel like people become resentful. One parent feels like they're doing more than the other, you know, he's gone to work, comes home, you know, you get the best bits. You know, we yeah. have some things, we're like a counsellor as well in, <laughs> in the home. And it's just, <laughs> that can be hard for people sometimes, you know. Also, high flight, Babies can't be controlled. High, I think sometimes high flyers as well, people that have been working, they've been able to control their diaries, and then now they've got this baby, he's not sleeping at six o'clock. Doesn't sleep every two hours. <laughs> you know, babies can't be programmed like a diary. They actually take over your life for the first couple of months or forever, really. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> and that's something for some people, that, that adjustment can be very hard and can be a, a, quite a knock because someone's had quite a lot of control over their life to now be taken the controls take away from them can be hard absolutely yeah i mean is it possible to sleep train a baby at all or do they just kind of sleep whenever they want to sleep, yeah, and wake up? sleep train. People, a lot of people do do sleep training um obviously some people start on four months some people do a bit later some people do in one year but sleep training is possible and but not all parents feel they can do it i for one was a weak mom i call myself a bit weak in that aspect i can't <laughs> I can't do the crying. I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> so I just kind of had to just wing it in my own way. <laughs> and yeah. to do it Cause I can't do the crying. <laughs> but for some people they can, it's like a um, short term, you know, thing for a little while. And then the perks of it later that they're sleeping at this time. But with every children, they, some of them get cold, they get sick and then they're back to, they wake up again. You know, life is not always perfect. They may sleep for a couple of times, but there'll be odd days when they still wake up again. What do we yeah. do then? How do you cope in those seasons? So parenting is all about flexibility. Yeah, great. I mean, how soon do babies start teething, by the way? Like babies can start teething from about when they're a first two weeks. My son's like first two weeks. Yeah. Some babies are born with teeth. Some babies right. There's been babies born with teeth. Yes, I know babies that have four months old and have teeth. It's it's strange. Of course not the norm, but like some babies from two months are teething for something. It's just different things. Yeah. Oh wow. And there's a thing called colic as well. What what oh, is colic? Oh. Colic is the pain of every parent's life. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing. 
because oh, you have no. imagine having trap wind how painful it is to have trap wind ever had trap wind before yeah how painful is that imagine having oh, awful. awful the first time i had it i wanted to call the ambulance i didn't know it was crazy right i know it's a funny story well i mean imagine that kind of pain and what it is basically for colic is trap wind for ba- trap wind for babies basically they've got tiny little bubbles of air in their stomach oh. from feeding where they've not been able to bring up the wind themselves okay then pain so usually happens worse at the evenings because they've had a lot of feeds so where they've had all the feeds in the morning afternoon and they've got the last day and now all the bubbles are just there and they're causing pain they can cry for hours mm-hmm. until they really try to bring that pain up so we recommend, you know, practical tips, of course, making sure that if you win baby after every feed, don't let them have the whole feed before you win them. Yeah. Keep them upright for as long as you can. Use things like Invercore or Grat Water. These are all practical tips, but some babies just don't grow out until they're four months old. We know that it can last until four months old. Four months of every evening crying can be a long time for parents. Wow. <laughs> it can be really hard trying to control a baby who's got. So how? So if a baby has colic, what can you buy or give them to yeah, stop them? Yeah, from... bright water, and like I said, the practical tips of you know how you break up the feeds, making sure there's no air in their bottles. You know, yeah. for some parents it might be changing their whole diet, avoiding spicy food, avoiding dairy yeah. products. You know, all these things can impact on the colic itself. Mm. So it's hard work <laughs> wow with heat rash i know that's quite a common thing with babies because i've seen quite a few babies like have heat rash mm-hmm. is I don't, is that a common thing um yeah i don't know what 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 is yeah, what it is, can be a, common, a lot of babies have heat rash and a lot of rashes in babies is quite common in general because there's so many different reasons they could be like milk spot rash they can be a newborn rash there's so many rashes that baby can have uh-huh. heat rash is not exempt from them obviously depending on the weather and time um, some, some people, obviously, if it's in colder months, they can overdress the babies. They're not trying to make them be cold. Or, you know, even winter months, not, still not knowing how many layers babies should be wearing. Yeah. Um, and also, babies, you know, so not everyone's known how, how babies, because they're new, you don't know how, some people, like, you know, you and me in a room, you can feel hot, I can feel okay. Yeah. So some babies don't actually feel hotter than others. Mm. You won't know that until time passes and tell you I feel hot. And their babies, you don't, they can't tell you I'm feeling really hot. So no. you've got to basically check it. So some babies don't actually, they get hot very easily. Some babies mm. are not. So knowing how to check a baby's temperature um, just by touch, you know, um, the back of their neck and they're on their upper chest is one of the ways you can check it. Feeling their climbing, remove layers, you know, room temperatures that it is warmer, you know, things you can do. Some people live in really, those new builds that are really, really hot. You know, yeah. it's hard for them. They've got to make sure you adjust to that. Still can't wear the same amount of clothes you would on a hot day for that baby. If they've got heat rash, fine. Just know the red flag. Is it heat rash? Is there a worry? Should I check the rash out? Um, obviously, you know, we worry about things like meningi- meningitis rash. Yes. If you've got temperature with it, you know, it, does the rash disappear under the glass? Those things. As long as you're aware of those things, you're not worried, then heat rash is fine. It comes and it goes. How, can, how soon can you start introducing solid, solid food into a baby's diet? you know six, is months. It, is it six months six months still yeah some okay. premature babies will have theirs a month earlier and start weaning at five months um however as you know consumers marketing has said four months a lot of food in shops say four months and that's a lot of things you have to that's battle true. against with parents because they will tell you oh but it says four months here i've given him this rice of them we're like yeah, says that <laughs> that's marketing that's a promotion that's something that they're trying to do in for business but we know that a baby at six months is less likely to develop allergies. Their, mm. their gastric system is ready for it better. They're, yeah. you know, they're they can sit up by themselves. They can hold things, you know, they will, they will be better prepared for things. 
And that battle sometimes really hard when you've had parents that they used, they've had older children, they've they've done it before and they're happy and the child's fine. Yeah. Or you've had people that have the grandparents that give the children like through that older age and like, oh no. <laughs> Start eating rice. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But you can like I said with the job, you can only give the evidence. You can get in the advice, you can get admission and you allow the parents to do what they choose but you make yeah. that advice you can't force anybody to do anything but you're just going to tell them what the advice is and Absolutely. what the plan is and what the recommendation is and make mm-hmm. sure that they're informed so they can make the right decisions yeah definitely so with vaccinations mm-hmm. um i know that's something that um happens because with babies before they're one or something like that yeah. but then i know that's there's some parents who may not want to vaccinate their children mm-hmm. so can you talk to us a little bit about what the vaccine what vaccinations babies have and when um for those who don't want to have the vaccination is that okay like is it mandatory i don't know there's a vaccination schedule um in the uk um that they follow um the first four months are quite busy so they book one or eight weeks 12 weeks and 16 weeks and then there's a little gap till they're one years old and they have one then another preschool booster um and some other one in between the bcg and things like that but the immunization schedule those how it goes um, they all are done with the nurse at the GP surgery. Um, no, it's not compulsory in the country. However, it is highly recommended. We can't force parents to immunize their children. However, it is something that we highly recommend, obviously, because a lot of parents, some parents um, rely on herd immunity. When there's things like, as I'm sure you heard about the mumps and measles, yeah. and that's when everyone starts rushing to get the vaccinations. Um, we say one not had it done before, you know, and then before the time is the outbreak. Um, however, some parents have genuine concerns in regards to some of the information and evidences that have been put out there. Yeah. Um, but what some of the times we'll say to them, check the reliability. How many people were the studies study done on? Was it done mm. on a lot of people? Was it done on 20 people? Is that enough to really prove one thing, you know? Um, but the final decision to have your child vaccination is left with the parents. So when I speak to parents about vaccinations, I tell them, I give them information. I make sure yeah. they're informed on it. Have, if they ask questions, I answer questions. What I don't know, I will go back and find out for them. Okay. This risk of autism, this risk of that, yes, they can. You know, this I can't tell you that's definitely not going to happen. However, I can tell you that how there's also a risk of if they have this disease that comes with them not having this, this could also be life-threatening for them as well. But you mm-hmm. decide what you think is best for you and your child. And ultimately, mm-hmm. the GP will chase them up. If they say no, I'll document it and that's all. Great. So, you know, after a woman has had, a, had, um, has, has given birth, I know, I mean, different, if she's had uh, an episiotomy, she's had stitches, or she's had, you know, or just in general, I think there are some women who, like, well, African women who might use, like, salt water mm. to kind of, you know, wash that area, cleanse, nurture the vagina, or and there's some women who might even put a bit of antiseptic. I don't know. What's your advice? What are the recommended guidelines for... Um, things like that and what's your opinion so a piece to me perineum tears all other things we recommend that the evidence before was saying that how you should never have like a bath um but now i just like to say that how a bath, bath meaning like soaking yourself in a bath um and recommend more showers however now we think the, the evidence is saying slowly changing saying how what mother really has time to sit in a bath for more than an hour none <laughs> <laughs> if you're not going to have a bath, it won't be long anyway. So the risk of, you know, the warmness and breathing more infection is very low. So if mum falls into a bath, she can. However, scented oils, things like that, we don't recommend them because they can um, contraindicate with the tear itself, cause more infection. Um, 
or and sensitivity to the area so we say no water only down there okay um, a lot of people say salt is a healing agent some people put it in small amounts however because we don't know how much they'll dilute it with and things like that we yeah. just say no um however if some people do it we say fine we'll, we won't be our opinion but some people do mm. so they change your pad regularly um powerful exercises making sure you just use water yeah. area have showers more than you have baths is recognition for healing down there and of course your midwife can check it or gp can check your tear make sure everything's going back to normal and um, the worry is about constipation if you are constipated let them know earlier so that doesn't impact on your tear as well okay and um in terms of like the registering of baby how does that work so i actually don't know what to do do you have to go to a gp do you have to go to a online how do you register the baby you know their name and all of that kind of stuff and how soon do you do that have you have by law 42 days however during coronavirus that has changed completely there's been a complete backlog as you can expect there was not doing any of the birth registers at all or registering oh. death so they're far behind i think the last time i saw a lady last week and she called they said they were all on april babies wow and the impact that's had on a lot of people they couldn't register the baby so obviously that final 42 days does not um, apply to them i don't know how long that's gonna not apply okay. um until they catch up um but you register with the local council your child was born with um born in so usually if it was in lambeth you'll go to lambeth council to do it um sometimes they can in some situations make you do it at your if you live far let's say Greenwich and you want to just register in your Greenwich Council they can do it however they'll have to transfer over it can be a longer process okay and you may not receive the birth registration that day and there because the council that you have able to see it so is it something you have to somewhere you have to go you've got to go yeah. there yes okay. you've got to go and it can't be done over the phone can't be done that's why it's good issue telephone that's why it's good delay because you've got to see the child and parents right. they've got certain things so usually like the council is where you go to a birth mm-hmm. registration office you book an appointment for that within the 42 days you can book appointments online you can book it over the phone um and it should be done when things are normal within 42 days okay. and you're given information from the hospital to take along yeah. with you appointment. okay fair enough in terms of like intimacy how mm-hmm. soon can a mother have sex after pregnancy is that a week two weeks a month a lot of people usually say six weeks. Um, you wait for your check with your GP. That mum will have usually a six week postnatal check with her GP, and that's when usually once they've given her the all clear from that test, that she can regain um, activities. However, um, if you had a normal delivery, you didn't have any stitches, you feel fine. Yeah. Some mums are happy to resume back to activities sooner. Some will say three weeks, two weeks. I was back to normal, and I felt fine. However, others will say to you that how they've had low mood. They've lost the sometime with breastfeeding as well. Your libido can go down. They've not mm. felt the need to. So we have to, and also tears. If a mum has had a third degree tear, that can really yeah. impact them down there and things like that. So that's a, another physiological, but also psychological impact yeah. on that as well. So she may need longer. So I feel yeah. like they're each to own individual basis. And but majority would say six weeks wait and get a GP check. But however, for pet mothers who feel better before, they're not limited to say they can't do it yeah. you can if you fall back to normal but we would recommend things like using lubrication the first time making sure mm-hmm. you're ready between you and your partner make sure you're ready for it you know and those kind of things before you do um or if you need a clear bleeding obviously making sure you know bleeding is not risk of infection as well and if your tear is completely healed because there's a risk of infection yeah i think some women they think that when they're breastfeeding um they can't have another baby because obviously they're not maybe seeing their periods so in terms of (laughs) that's a myth please tell them (laughs) (laughs) yes please 
I've so what, forms, what forms of um, contraception um, would you advise for mothers who's just had a baby? Would you, if, if someone's been taking the pill before, would you recommend that you just continue taking the pill? Or, well, we did, know, we, is that an upgrade? we did a recent, <laughs> I was joined by um, a physician associate recently. I did a recent live with one of my um, close friends who's also in a, um, works in the GP practice. And she, we spoke about contraception. We will recommend conception to be discussed with um, parents from six to eight weeks, check with their GP. Okay. However, for those that want to regain subjectivity prior, condoms, or speak to a family earlier, what they use is dependent on the mother, her past history, what she's used prior, if she's, if she's breastfeeding, there's also a limitation on surface she can and cannot use at that time, um, how long she's thinking about having another baby, you know, what she's comfortable with, um, like I said, history of her own, you know, and yeah. risk factors that she needs to consider. So some will need a GP review. Some will need to go to a family clinic to have assessment done to pick the right one for her that will suit her, depending yeah. on her feeding, okay. when she wants to have another baby, and family history, uh, her weight, um, medical history as well. So those okay. things are variable. So that's something that she has to speak to the GP about then, potentially? Yeah, or a family planning clinic. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I've seen some mothers, they literally have a baby, then a couple of months later, they're like, I'm pregnant. I'm just like, how? how? Yeah, we know how, but why? (laughs) Yeah, why? Yeah. (laughs) That quick? Yeah. That quick? I know. I've had people come to six to eight week GP check. I said to you that how you can can regain activities way before six to eight check. People come to that moment and they're pregnant again. Mm. Some people put up to it before and they got right back in. This is it. Congratulations yeah. again. I mean, even in terms of like going back to bonding again, what resources can mothers use to adjust to mothering? Is it books, an app? I don't know. What advice do you have for this, for the entering into, uh, entering into the parenthood um, yeah, world? Accessing, um, Using your health start as a resource for yourself as well. There are a lot of information she gives you. Um, use reputable, if NHS choices, um, other reputable sites online, and there's apps like One the Week that tell you stuff what to do and Guide Baby Center. Those kind of ones that are very useful. But sometimes the mums forum, be careful how you use them or certain things because people give advice and it's their own personal advice or personal journey. And it's not okay. it's factual. Um, attending things that um activities with you and baby so doing baby massage very good mm. one to gain bond between your baby because you're able to jet into your baby singing rhyme time baby music they're quite good things for you to go with your baby to help you have that time together okay. and you know, having things that you can do together so those are things yeah. that we would recommend if available to you yeah cool how soon do you think the education needs to start about yeah. pregnancy yesterday <laughs> Yeah, definitely think that it, and that's one of the biggest, big, big thing right now is educating ourselves. Obviously, I know there's a lot of information about five times more and for that, yeah. like, um, and you know, black women dying more, or even just in general, just that raising that profile about women dying childbirth. I think basically that how we need to educate ourselves about conditions that, as an ethnic minority, we're more prone to. Yes. Um, as an ethnic minority, what's your family history? Um, what, um, what kind of thing what's your BMI when you're getting pregnant mm. 
Oh. What risk factors for me? Um, is that history? What, what happened to my? What, how was my mom's labors? How was my aunt's labors? Find out what goes on in your family. You know what mm. kind of traits there were there, and um, what kind of things do I need to adapt to my lifestyle change? You know, diet, lifestyle. I want to get pregnant. Am I having the right diet? Having the right lifestyle? You know, am I a good weight to get pregnant again? These things yeah. also. Um, what kind? What kind of things? Um, in my ethnic, like you know, we know that um, black people are more prone to diabetes, high blood pressure, and um, preeclampsia. These things are they're more prone to. Yeah. So, you know, in knowing that, know about what these things really are. If you don't know what they are, you're prone to, but you don't know it. How do you advocate for yourself? How do you, um, how do you not get it? How do you try to make sure that you you're not at a higher risk of you know getting these Absolutely. things? Absolutely. I mean, but, yeah. Even just going back to what you said that um, you know, the embrace report five times. You know, black women are five times more likely. How do you feel about that? You know, yeah. and how do you think that black women can? kind of navigate their way through the healthcare system through maternity so that they can have more positive outcomes for themselves i do think that we need um education for ourselves about what these things are and be able to advocate for ourselves be able to have that one-to-one support be able to listen be able to be listened to to be heard by professionals yeah. if they are going through things if they are feeling pain they are not if they are struggling if their mental health is impaired speak up um also if they are sick and they have got pain not to be overlooked that oh it's fine you know and but also for them to be able to know a lot educated so they can ask the right questions to the professionals sometimes mm. when, if you don't know what to ask you don't know what these like i said knowing about conditions if you never knew about pre-cancer how would you know what symptoms are to look out for you may feel and sometimes sometimes in our culture we just feel oh this is, you know oh i'll be fine or, yeah. or not we have a help not saying that's always the case and um, i'm saying how in time if we educate ourselves no this no this is not right i've seen this i know this 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 looks like signs of this there's been many times i got my gp and i've had to tell him what i'm what i'm ill with because he don't know <laughs> I was like, i'm sure it's this i've cut myself you know i'm, I'm helping you five as a job but you know that shouldn't be the case sadly that should not be the case within us you know we should have people that listen to us we should have advocation you know that should be there however education knowledge for ourselves is, is key having professionals listen to us having professionals aware of what our risks are yeah look out for is very important as well so education all rounded you know making sure that how we also speak up you know also pairs as a community to ourselves if you have a, a friend family you know around you is she aware of things make sure you're aware mm. Even before your pre pre conception you should be a lot of things about parenting and mother you look into you know before mm. like what should i I don't know about this. I, I know that I, I want to get pregnant. What, what's an ideal weight? What kind of food should I be eating? What kind of things? What happens to my family? What my family more prone to? What happens to my mom's history? What, you know, these things do matter. Yeah. So these things, I think, also matter. But I do think there needs to be that. I think a lot of people talk about continuity of care for um, um, the black community. Obviously, one of the reasons why people are probably suggesting that because the more you see one person, can you just go back to just talking about what the continuity of care is for yeah. maybe those continuity who don't of, know? Yeah, continuity of care is having um, this a same professional or team that you see regularly, so they know you and and you're having. Um, so where now you have like a lot of visits with your antenatal care, you'll see them as let's say I'm just giving roughly eight weeks. Um, 16 weeks 19 weeks 21 weeks 24 28 you know that regular person but it'll be the same professional yeah like if I see you all the time I would notice more differences in you yes we get to know each other I can um, tell you more things I feel comfortable yes. around you I'm able to disclose more things to you more than it's someone that I don't see regularly it's 15 minutes I, I, I feel rushed I feel That's like I don't true. know them like anybody like a friend if your friend that you just met yesterday and your friend that you've known for a long time and you know how they respond to you you can know how to ask the right questions you know when yeah. it's different 
you know, when they, they, they look sad, that's not how she usually looks. She usually wears better clothes, you know. She usually mm. looks more properly. I pick up on things easily. And communication can be easier. And things like parenting, sometimes the right question to the right person, just the right day, can make a big difference. Not the, and, so, and for parents not to feel like it's TikTok exercises, you know, like, mm. oh, hey, how are you? Baby, okay, yeah, great, bye. And that can be a lot of reasons why a lot of information may be missed or not, dis- not disclosed. So having, and that's one of the reasons why I started my services because I felt like I wanted that one-to-one, the flexibility of being able to see the right person and having yeah. that person that you felt like cared and can pick up a thing and you can disclose more information to you. So I think it's very important that how we do have that within um, our services for all parents really, you know, continue to care is something that they need to strive for. Obviously we know sickness occurs, but if there's a team, more than one professional that is that the family are aware of, they know, so they feel that they feel comfortable with as well and they're seeing regularly continuity of care can help with this disclosure of things also detecting things as a professional yes. that you're aware and that you know the family quite well you know this mom you've seen her before you know about her you don't have the same questions over and again because you've, you've, you've done that bit absolutely it's continuity of care something that women can um access i mean can they access it easily is something we can request for or was it still under discussion? You know, discussion. I think it's not. It's something that they sh- every they they strive to do it. However, there has been limitations in certain things like retention of staff, sickness of staff, um, time. You know, you know, shortage of midwives, yeah. um, whatever it may be. You know, and that that's a limitation in itself. So there is some big pictures, but it's something that I know that there's a lot of background work they're working into. Yeah, that's one yeah. thing that was responded into. Yeah. I definitely feel like the maternity service, maternity care needs to do a lot better to mm. support black women because these statistics are shocking. Yeah. And I think it's so important now more than ever that, really? you know, that black women are aware of these, these things yeah. and, you know, we can equip ourselves so that we don't um, kind of have problems and difficulties just because of unconscious bias. And yeah. you know, you know, even yeah. if we do have pre-existing factors, it's like, okay, so what can I do? So yeah. that I can still navigate my way through um, to receive the best care from myself, and not not to not to scare. And I, I, I don't think it should ever be a, a scare back to our parents. It should be more the um, educate. Like I said, education. I, should, I don't want parents to feel like, oh my god, I'm 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 going to risk of dying. You know. Um, yeah. As you know, we live in a country, the UK, where in better than obviously third world countries, we have got better services however it's the awareness that we i want i think that we're struggling with here awareness and the unconscious bias that you said that we're well and being yeah. able to ask the right questions educate ourselves so we can advocate for ourselves seeing more people represented within the services of ourselves you know is important as well um but also support ourselves as well as parents as mothers you know um and professionals supporting um the figures you know looking at these things looking at how to improve services yes. is needed regardless definitely so, Kemi, we're coming to an end now yeah. of this su- such an insightful talk. I feel like I'm so drained, and you, yeah, <laughs> you, no. you must be too. Answering all these questions. Um, so, yeah, if people want to know more about you and professional auntie, uh, where, how can we find you? Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah, it's been an informative talk for. Yes. <laughs> I would say, um, I would. I'm professional auntie. Um, can we find Instagram at professional auntie? Um, Facebook, also Professional Auntie. Twitter, also Professional Auntie. And my email is info at professionalauntie.co.uk. Perfect. And if you have any advice, maybe for a first-time mother who's maybe quite anxious, yeah. what tends to be your kind of, like, motto? Your, um, yeah, what's your... What, what do you say to them kind of thing? Most important, I say to her, an anxious mom is do not compare. Do not compare your journey to another mom's journey. Yeah. Do not compare another baby to your baby. 
you know, um, try and focus on the positives more than the negatives. Speak out. Um, a mum early on before preempt your support network. Who do you have that you can trust around you? Yes. You know, getting zone that in early on. Who can you speak to when you're feeling like the way you feel? Yeah. How do you control? What is your before you were pregnant? Before you think, how did you control your anxious thoughts? Mm. Remember that they can still be dealt with now. So if it's someone that you used to go for walks, go for a walk with baby. If someone used to exercise, put baby in your in the baby carrier start doing your squats you know whatever it may be don't we can adapt it yeah. but if there was cope mechanisms before try and remember those and trying to adapt those into your day-to-day life now can help you to reduce the anxiety but also that there is support available and they're not alone absolutely and just a quick disclaimer guys please speak to your midwife your doctor health visitor healthcare professional if you have any um healthcare concerns um you know this podcast just serves as a general kind of conversation about healthcare and isn't trust specific mm-hmm. so kemi thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today okay. honestly it was such a pleasure um and we look forward to you know connecting with you again you know seeing you soon and just hearing mm-hmm. about your you know your health visiting journeys and things like that <laughs> thank, you so much. thank you so much i think it's a definitely needed podcast and i look forward to many more that you're going to be doing Thank you.